So, Colossians 1, 9 to 14, Jesus is enough for every fear. Here's, here's kind of the path we're going to go. How is Jesus enough for the fears that you and I feel? I want to just walk us through three things. So, first, through His work on the cross, Jesus' work on the cross, we can know God. The second one is through His work on the cross, we can see God's faithfulness. And the third one is through His work on the cross, we have nothing to fear. So, first one, through His work on the cross, we can know God. This is the first two verses, 9 and 10. So, some of us haven't been students for a while, right? Some of us longer than others, but if you can remember, have you ever had a teacher where you just didn't quite know what the teacher wanted from you? Or maybe if you're in a job, you have a, have a boss. If you've entered the workplace, maybe there's a boss you just can't quite please because you're not sure what the expectations are. This is not the case with our God. He says we can know God by first thing he says is we can know his will. So look at verse 9. It says that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. God's saying we can know, we can know his will. These other gods that the Colossians were tempted to, these false gods that the Colossians were tempted to go after, you had to go through a bunch of rituals and ceremonies. So if you follow this, you get a little more knowledge. If you go to the next step, you get a little more knowledge. They're tempted to play along with this. And this is not what God, God uh, what Paul is saying. He is saying he wants God to give them knowledge. But not just information, not just like math and science and history, knowledge of His will. This is God showing us what He wants from us. So in that context, it would be unheard of for any of these false gods to just lay it all out there for their followers. But this is the character of our God. You don't have to turn there, but Psalm 25, 12, David says, "...who is the man who fears the Lord?" Him will He, being God, Him will He instruct in the way that He should choose. In other words, God's going to reveal His will for His people. But I think the real question for most of us, that's great. God's going to reveal His will for me. Perfect. How do I get my hands on it? That's the real question in my own heart. How do I get my hands on this knowledge? Well, the first thing is, we need to know where that will is revealed. Where is he giving out this knowledge? It's in here. It's in those books that you're carrying around with you or maybe on your phones. It's in the Bible. This is God's full will revealed to us. We read it to understand what his will is. What does he want from us? It's the reason we would go to a home group or a Bible study. We want to get deeper. We want to understand more. It's the reason we would come to Sunday school, to go to Sunday seminar, it, it's why you're sitting in these chairs right here. We want to know what it is that He has revealed to us. We want to get in a pattern of saying with our lives and with our hearts, Lord, I want to know Your will. But that's not the only part. We want to know His will, but the second part, Paul prays in this as he says in all spiritual wisdom and understanding and this will probably make sense to you that knowledge in the Bible is never just a set of facts knowledge in the Bible is lived out it's lived out in our daily lives 
Paul is praying that this knowledge will come from the Holy Spirit as we live out our lives. And what it does is it makes your daily life, when you get up in the morning and brush teeth and go to work and go to school and you interact with people, it makes all of that incredibly significant. Because knowledge is not gained by just some kind of mystical, I can grab it out of the sky. It's not gained by just following my feelings. It's not gained by just tradition and ritual. He's saying it's knowing God's will and then practicing it. One of my professors in seminary, he defined wisdom as, as this. He said, wisdom is skill in the art of godly living. He said, wisdom is skill in the art of godly living. In, in other words, we we learn to live, we learn to live in a way that honors God. But it's not a formula. It's not like a math problem. We plug into the calculator. It's sort of this art. It's kind of this little dance that we're doing. Small example. God tells us, commands us, His will is for children to honor their mother and father. Ten Commandments. We knew a, we knew a woman whose heart's desire it was to, she wanted to go to the, she wanted to go on foreign missions and tell people about Jesus in foreign lands. But her mother was set against her going. So, what does it mean to honor God there? Do I honor God by pushing my mom's desires and going after the, going after telling other people? Or do I seemingly deny what God's telling me to do what my mom tells me? Do I go or do I stay? It's, it's this art. It's not a formula. It's difficult. We face these difficult decisions. But Paul's point is that when we encounter these situations, God has given us opportunities to practice His will. In John 14, Jesus had promised us that His Holy Spirit would be there to guide us and to teach us. We learn. We practice. And we're going to see in just a second that it actually drives us back to knowledge. So we know His will, but we can also know, the second thing is we know His pleasure. Verse 10, if you look with me at verse 10, it says, So as to walk in a manner in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So for you and me, the big thing is here, we are not being told to be perfect and without sin. It's actually something far more gracious for a bunch of scared people. He, he's actually saying that this lifestyle of learning God's will and then practicing it in our lives with the Holy Spirit's guidance, this actually brings full pleasure to God. Fully pleasing to Him. And if your heart's anything like mine, hold on to that truth tight. Because most days, do you you feel like most days you walk around and say, yep, my life brings full pleasure to God? I don't usually feel that way. When I see something like that, it feels like that's absolutely impossible. But yet, that's exactly what Paul is saying. You are a delight to him. You are a delight to the God of all creation. Because of the work of Jesus, you are a delight to him. 
Some of you are sitting here this morning, you need to hear that more than others. You are a delight to Him. And notice what it, what it does. It, it actually bears fruit and it causes us to seek after God's will more and more. As we encounter these complex situations, it drives us back to, I know God's telling me to do this, but man, now I've, this new question has come at me. I'm not really sure, so I better go back to see what God would have me do now. So it drives us back to God's Word, and then we practice it. There's this rhythm, there's this give and take there. So just a short little picture here. A few years back, I folded and I put clean towels in the bathroom linen closet. Pretty simple. Uh, you're, just some things you might know, want not know about me. Some of your teens might tell you if they know. First thing that's not going to win me popularity points is I don't like chocolate. Yep, that's it. Uh, but the second one is I'm one of those kind of oddballs that I actually enjoy doing laundry. And on this particular day, folded the towels, clean, fresh, and I put them in the linen closet. And on this particular day, Joy, my wife, had been bathing one of our kids. I don't remember which one. And so she opened it up, and there's towels in there. And she told me afterwards, she was just like, that really meant a lot to me. That made me feel very loved that there were fresh, clean, folded towels in there when I needed them. And so, guess what her praise accomplished? I wanted to always have fresh, clean, folded towels in that linen closet. I wanted to always do that. Her, my faithfulness in just doing something as simple as folding towels and cleaning them and putting them in the closet, it brought delight to her. And it increased my desire to want to do it better and more efficiently. And so I get that the chocolate thing and the doing the laundry, love doing laundry thing, I may have lost some of your respect, some of you right there, but you can kind of see the point, right? That, that we can actually know what brings delight to our Father. So some of us are facing great fear right now. Our, our student population, wherever you fall on the student spectrum, there's projects and there's assignments and there's things coming at you and some of you may be behind on those projects or those assignments or homework and the expectations, the what-ifs, killing you. And some of you may not know, research is telling us that our students are under more pressure and stress and anxiety today than ever before. You're afraid. If you're a parent, you're afraid too. Because you've got the responsibility to raise these little things and hope that they make it. And sometimes it's just like everything we do, every decision we make is just wrong. Maybe your kids are grown and they're gone out of the house and we're dealing with, there are people dealing with aging parents. What do I do to honor them? How do I take care of them? What does that mean? If we're single, there's expectation on you. How do I advance my career? Where do I go? And then how do I balance that with the rest of my life and with friendships? How do I navigate all of that? We know what it's like to be afraid. So what do we do? First, we need to know God's will. Some of us do need to read, as we were talking about that five-day Bible plan, some of us need to read the Bible more than we do. We need to know God's will. We need to set aside time, even if it's five minutes, to read. Pick up the Bible plan, the Bible reading plan, so that you know God's will. Because the problem is, we're going to be following someone's script. 
you're already following someone's script, but whose is it? If we don't know God's will, we're going to be ignorant of it. Second, please hear that your life matters. How you move around and the decisions you make and the life you live, it actually, it actually matters. If you're a Christian, enter into the process of learning God's will and then putting it into action. If you're a Christian, you haven't been doing that, start. Because what it actually does is it doesn't cause God to love you more. It actually causes you to love Him more. You learn, you live it out, and then it drives you back to doing that. But your life matters, what you do with it. And lastly, uh, here that you and I, we're prone to think that People and God will only be proud of us if we perform. And usually the bar is way up here, but we got to get up there in order for God to be proud of us. Don't believe it. If you're a Christian, God looks at you and is pleased with you. But we live our lives. We need to live our lives in a place of being delighted in. We're already delighted in. So, the next thing, we're going to move to seeing God's faithfulness because just knowing His will and living it out, often that doesn't make all the fear go away. So we need to see that through His work on the cross, we can see God's faithfulness. And that usually shows up in the difficult times. Look at verse 11 with me. Paul continues this prayer. He says, "...being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy." So here's a question. Why would Paul need to pray for us to be strengthened with all power? Why would he have to pray for us to have patience and endurance and joy? Because if I feel like my life's blessed, I don't, nobody has to tell me to endure through the blessings and the good times. Easy. Paul is praying this because he knows this little dance of knowing God's will and practicing it. It's going to be difficult. And we might doubt God's faithfulness in the middle of it. So Paul wants us to have power, uh, power according to his glorious might. And this, this is actually saying more than you might think at first glance. So we've all seen like disasters that happen on TV and they'll have a benefit or some kind of, uh, the bands will come on and the celebrities will come on and they'll raise money for this effort. And so it's good. You'll see a celebrity plunk down a million dollars or something for this cause. Awesome. That is good. But most of us know that that's just a small portion of the enormous wealth that that one person has. Paul is actually saying they're giving of their wealth, but what if they gave according to their wealth? That would be a whole lot more of the whole. This is what God is saying. He's not giving us just this little tiny sliver. He's giving it all. Our God is giving all of his power to us for life's difficulties. And this, this is similar in Ephesians 1. Paul wrote Ephesians 1, and he says this when he talks about this power. He says in verse 19 and 20, he says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. 
power that God is supplying us for life's difficulties, it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. It overcame death. We need to hear that that's the kind of power we've been given. And it's the reality that's at work in us every day. And Paul says this mindset, when we grab hold of it, it actually produces a joy. And joy's different than happiness. You might know this, but happiness kind of ebbs and flows. It's there when it's great, but then when it gets scary or difficult, happiness is gone. Joy endures. Joy doesn't go away. It's that fruit of the Spirit that God gives us. God's faithfulness is actually highlighted. He's pointing to He wants it to be highlighted when life is difficult. And look what it produces in verse 12. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving in the difficult times. He says in verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You probably noticed them as we just read them. You might have noticed them as we went through. The two things, we give thanks, present tense. We give thanks because He has qualified us, past tense, to share in the inheritance. What's the significance of that? Our lives are often full of fear because we're usually convinced that we're not good enough in some way. I don't measure up. I don't measure up as a friend, as a brother, pastor, in anywhere in my life. I just don't feel like I'm actually cutting it. The Colossians were being told this, that if you can just clean up a little bit more, perform just a little bit more, you'll get to that next level. Just a little further. Do a little more, you get a little more. This is not what God is telling us. I stand already qualified. He's qualified you and me to share in the inheritance now. And so what that does, if I can get it, that I'm qualified now, it produces thanksgiving. I don't have to perform to get more knowledge. He's given it all to me now through the work of Christ. I have it now, and so I respond with thanksgiving. So God's not looking at us. We just got done with Christmas and everything. He's not looking at us with a naughty and nice list. He's not keeping a list and watching us. We're qualified now, and that produces thanksgiving. We give thanks because of what He's done already. I taught all of my boys, and I'll probably teach Amarin when she grows up a little bit more, but I taught all my boys to ride their bike. And if you've ever done this, you know that it's not without going a little bit and falling. And you fall, and you there's scraped elbows, there's bruised knees, and sometimes there's cries like ours of like, this is too hard, I quit. I'm done. If you've ever driven a stick shift, if, you, if you've learned, you, you know, you stall out in the driveway. You don't get past the driveway for a while. You know, but after a little while, you, you, you kind of learn, just like a bike, you kind of learn, okay, I can let out the clutch this much before having to engage the gas pedal so it doesn't do that jerking thing. And I can actually drive. And after a little while, 
you, you get to where you don't have to think about it. Paul's prayer is kind of like this learned response that we all struggle with. The fear comes and it knocks us off and we get bruised and we get bloody and it hurts. But he's wanting our responses to get better. So the kind of power that I usually want God to come through with when I'm in difficult times, when I'm afraid, is I just want him to come down and just scoop the danger away. I just want him to end it. If he really loved me, stop it right now. Just get it out of my life. That's what I want. That's what power comes across to me like. So why does he let it go on and on and on sometimes? Paul is in prison when he's writing this. He's familiar with pain and suffering, and yet he's praying for endurance and patience. God lets these things go on sometimes because He is doing something in us to bring us to a place where my response is thanksgiving. Thanksgiving to Him. So I don't know where you are. You might be facing one of those places right now where you are very afraid and God's faithfulness is in question. Don't hear that you're not a Christian because you have those doubts. Paul is writing to people who are scared. So if you're afraid, that doesn't, that's not equal to you not being a Christian, but it is maybe a self-examination time. Why am I doubting God's faithfulness? Why does this circumstance, why is it causing me to look at God with anger and disdain and He doesn't love me? The thanksgiving that Paul is praying for is a response. He's calling for this response. But it can also be a choice, right? A choice that can lead us back to seeing God's faithfulness. So because God's not just powerful a little bit of the time, but all the time, when I'm in the midst of struggling and afraid, I can actually look around me and see God's blessings. We're all breathing oxygen right now. We're breathing air that God has supplied to us, and it's doing things in our bodies. Blood's pumping. Hearts are going. Lungs are expanding and detracting. They're doing all this stuff. We're in a building right now that is protecting us from the weather. If you ate this morning, that's a blessing. And some of that practicing a a rhythm of what has God done, it can actually lead us back to faithfulness. And that's, that's important. So, Reminding our own hearts is something we need to preach to our hearts, God's faithfulness. The last thing we want to look at is uh, through His work on the cross, we actually have nothing to fear. Look at the last two verses. He says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. My daughter, Amron, she's almost two. And life, she's one of four kids, and life with four kids is messy and almost always chaotic. But this little girl, she just kind of toddles around the house, and some of you have seen her toddling around out there like nothing is wrong. No fear. She's just moving around, around out here because she knows she belongs. And this is one of the things that God is saying in this verse is that we belong. The domain of darkness, that's the place we used to live before Jesus. Before our faith in Jesus, 
And there's that past tense again. Not He's going to deliver us from the domain of darkness. He has delivered us. It's already happened. The other spiritual forces that the Colossians were, were struggling with, that you, you build the kingdom in your own heart. You kind of do things and you get closer and closer to the kingdom. God says through Jesus, you're already there. He's done the work that has brought us into a place of belonging. And this kingdom's not like the old kingdom. I get afraid because my sins are too big for me. Maybe Jesus has got them, but my sins are still more powerful than I am. And they still dog every step, and they're still there in the morning when I open my eyes. They are there, but this new kingdom is full of forgiveness of sin. That word redemption that you see means to buy back. We have been bought back from slavery to that. This is a kingdom of freedom. This is a kingdom of life. And he says we belong. Our old sins are gone. The, the prayer for the Colossians and for us is that we become like Jesus. Do me a favor. When, go back to verse 9 and just look, and I'll say them out loud. When we see the descriptions that Paul is praying, listen to them. Having a spirit-filled wisdom and understanding, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with God's power, having endurance, patience, and joy in difficult times, qualified to inherit all the promises of God, deliverance from the kingdom of darkness and from sin's power. When I look at that list, I don't know what your reaction is, when I, when I look at that list, those things don't describe me very often. I'm afraid because there are things in this world that are more powerful than me, and they feel like they are about to take me down. But who is all of those things? Filled with the knowledge of God's will, spirit-filled wisdom and understanding, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strong, having endurance, qualified, triumphant over the kingdom of darkness. That describes Jesus. Why is Paul praying Jesus' descriptions over us? Because Jesus endured difficulty and homelessness, pain, suffering, abandonment, betrayal, fear. Hebrews tells us that He did all of that without sinning. Paul wants us. He is praying for us to grow and mature and for grace to change us into men and women who are more like Jesus. God's doing something in this world and through us that will be for its good and for our good. It's going to be for the good of Greensboro, and it's going to be the, for the good of this world, and it's going to be for the good of your workplaces and your families and friendships and classrooms. Day by day, decision by decision, struggle by struggle, we are becoming more like Jesus. 
we please Him now because of what Jesus has already done. The struggles and the fears that we're experiencing now, they're not wasted. They're being used to make us more like Him, like Jesus. So Paul's prayer, we'll finish with this, is that we are afraid of all the powerful things in this world. We're weak people, and we sometimes cling to weak promises. The promises of God. The promise of God is that He will never stop clinging to us. As, as we meet every fear with the faithfulness of Jesus. And this shows us that Jesus is actually enough for every fear. Can we pray together? Father, I'm, my own heart needs this. My own heart struggles to believe this. Your faithfulness comes into question because the things I'm afraid of really do seem more powerful than you. I pray that you would strengthen my own heart. Would you strengthen my friends here? Help us to see that, Jesus, you are not wasting anything. You will never stop clinging to us or making us more like yourself. Thank you for the Spirit's work. Help us to worship in this next song. Help us to sing with thanksgiving. We pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen.